Welcome ladies and gents and everything in between and beyond. My name is Tannis Kitchener. I'm a doctor of physical therapy and this is your Ask a Physical Therapist segment for this month, um, which I'm realizing is quite an ironic title because I'm the PT doing the asking. (laughs) (laughs) So that's not exactly what this show was intended to be to start with, but um, maybe one day I'll get somebody on here to ask me questions. Um, I'm super thrilled today to have Zoe Rome, who is a local Carbondale, Carbondale light, um, a Carbondale lady, and she has many titles. She is um, the co-owner of Microcosm Coaching. You may remember my interview with TJ a while back. It was a fantastic interview about injury prevention and running and whatnot. So if you haven't listened to that, you might want to go back to Katie and Kay's website and give it a listen. She is also a co-author for a book um, regarding becoming a sustainable runner. And is that your official title for the book? That, as of now, is is the title. Fantastic. <laughs> so, becoming a sustainable runner. Keep an eye out for it. And it's supposed to come out this fall. Is that? Uh, probably next w- late 2022. Late 2022. Okay. Right on. I'm looking forward to it. And so, Zoe is a co-author with Tina Muir for this book. And I've asked her on the show to discuss, her and I were discussing the book, and it's so exciting to me. And some of the concepts, um, I have to admit, were a little novel to me, the collaboration between the two things. So, Zoe, do you mind giving me a little synopsis of what you ladies are doing with this book? Yeah, absolutely. So the overall mission of this book is to be a practical guide for runners and athletes of all stripes to integrate a practice of environmentalism into their sport while also becoming a more sustainable athlete along the way, not just in terms of environmental responsibility, but also in terms of a more consistent, stable, healthy, and loving relationship with running along the way. So, um, staying really engaged and in love with with your sport in addition to getting plugged in to environmental work. So really just trying to speak to all runners and empower them to get involved in a way that feels good and makes sense to them. So one thing I forgot to mention and that you are also personally quite an accomplished runner. Yeah. (laughs) So this is something that you live and breathe and, uh, Zoe also has her master's in environmental journalism, and she's serving as a head council person for Runners of Public Lands. So she is in it. Um, And I'm excited to talk to her about one of her sections of the book is regarding getting athletes engaged. So what are some of the tips that you would recommend or that you would put out there for getting engaged on any level, local, national? Yeah, I actually think that getting involved at the local level is an amazing place for most athletes to start. Here in Colorado, and particularly Carbondale, we have some really poignant examples of how grassroots activism has been incredibly impactful. You can look at the activism that occurred up on the Thompson Divide, or what's going on now for the CORE Act, the Colorado Outdoor Recreation um, 
Outdoor Recreation Economy Act to set aside parcels of land for preservation, outdoor recreation, economic stimulation tied into outdoor recreation, which is great. We can all get on board with that um, in a way that benefits smaller rural economies. And I think that when you when you think about where you can make the biggest difference, it oftentimes is going to be on that local level. So voting in city council elections, right? Because those are the people who are deciding on really important issues like housing affordability and access, land management issues, planning and zoning. It's not the most um, maybe sexy <laughs> political action. There's not a whole lot of Netflix series around you know the P- local P&Z commission. But those are the folks who are really deciding on really important issues, what land gets set aside, how we can develop communities in a way that both promotes access for people with less privilege and that preserves access to outdoor recreation infrastructure as well. So, you know, voting in small local elections, voting in midterms, paying attention to um, what's going on on local committees and subcommittees is an amazing way to really start to make a difference. So if I'm a runner in Carbondale, what types of issues should I be particularly paying attention to? And do you have uh, recommendations on where to get some of that information, like how to break it all down and see what the details really are for each? Yeah, absolutely. So the Carbondale Board of Trustees has they, you know, all city governments are required to post their agendas online. So going in and reading, particularly around things like as a runner, I'm very partial to any pro sidewalk (laughs) action, you know, we need places to run. And so it can be things as simple as where are we building new sidewalks? Are we making sure that we're building sidewalks, not just in the fancy neighborhoods, but in places that give safe, equitable access to all Carbondalians? Um, you know, are we paying attention to where that where that money's going? Are we paying attention to how when we build new trails, are we making sure that signs are going up that are in languages that everyone can understand mm-hmm. and that speak to all kinds of people who are out there recreating on the trails? It can be things as simple as allocating more funds for like dog poo disposal bags. Like there's a lot of ways that seem really simple, but have a really, really big impact in terms of making sure that trails and sidewalks stay clean and that there are more trails and sidewalks who are safe and accessible to more people. Safe and and accessible. That's one of my values as well for folks. Um, You also mentioned that one of your topics was environmental communication. Can you elaborate on that a little bit and what that means to the local mountain athlete? Yeah, so I actually originally got interested in using sport as a way of plugging people into environmental action because... When I was a young journalist in 2016, the Trump administration had made some really aggressive cuts to NASA's budget that was used to monitor different data sets relevant to monitoring climate change, essentially. And while that might feel like something that's really abstract and far off and not super, like, urgent to the average person, I also realized that that data was what was used to forecast a lot of collegiate baseball games. And as a college baseball fan myself, I was living in Arkansas at the time, I realized that I could get people to care about the fact that we were not going to be gathering this data set because our baseball forecasting could potentially get worse. So I reported and wrote a story demonstrating that this data wasn't just necessary for gathering better feedback in terms of 
how climate change is affecting different areas of the United States, but it also makes it harder for us to know what to wear to baseball games, how to enjoy baseball games. And so there's a lot of times where something might feel kind of disconnected from a big issue like climate change, but something as simple as baseball and a baseball forecast is actually super, super relevant to these systems. So how do I talk to people where they are and in a way that's meaningful and relevant to them? And oftentimes sport is where that happens. I mean, I know I personally have a really difficult time planning what activity do we want to do? Where do we go? And Unfortunately, over the last few years, it's been also impacted by wildfire smoke. You know, what's yeah. the air quality? And I know that we we know that our valley, in particular near the I-70-82 corridor, the air quality is not great even without wildfire smoke. So you add that in and the mountain athletes and us all, you know, we're going to have to change how we do some things or we might end up with some, some issues from the air pollution. Totally. And I think, you know, looking at things like air pollution, like not only is, you know, things like wildfires are directly tied to an increase in atmospheric temperature and lack of moisture here in the Mountain West, but things like, okay, when you look at housing affordability and access, the fact that many workers can no longer afford to live in certain regions of the Mountain West, like Aspen, pushes many workers further and further from the area where they're actually doing their work. And when we don't have adequate transportation infrastructure, you have a huge problem that we know as traffic, but also (laughs) becomes air pollution down the line. So things that, again, might not feel 100% like, okay, as a mountain athlete, like, why should I care about affordable housing? Like, affordable housing is absolutely something that can become a transportation issue and an environmental issue. And if you look at where we tend to build transportation infrastructure, we tend to build things like bus stations and kind of the grosser, like, more polluting infrastructure tends to end up in less privileged neighborhoods, neighborhoods of already marginalized populations. And then we tend to put like the nicer bus stops, the cleaner infrastructure in more privileged areas. So it really becomes an area where you can, you can start to see when you start to pull on a thread, it does start to kind of tug at the edges of every outdoor sport, right? Like we all love, you know, having a bus that takes us up to the ski hill. But again, you need to make sure that you're advocating for more systemic policies that help kind of tug on more strings than just like, oh, let's, you know, ride the bus to the ski hill to minimize our personal footprint. What can you do that helps a lot of people collectively reduce their footprint? Turns out we're all in this together. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which, you know, I'm not sure I did a great job kind of tying all this into PT, but one of my roles I mean, my favorite role is to really support people and being able to continue to do what they love. And in order for us all to do that, we need the environment to do that in. Most of us are out playing in the environment. And as you said, even if you're not a mountain athlete, even if you're a field athlete or frankly, an indoor athlete, like we all have to rely on being as sustainable as possible. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are some parallels to PT. Frequently, I know when I come in to see you for an issue, it, you know, might be something in my foot or my lower leg. And very often it's tied to something much further up the chain. It's actually what I'm seeing is the symptom of a much larger systemic issue. And climate change is very similar. You might see the wildfire smoke. You might experience the traffic. You might experience um, lower air quality or inaffordable housing. But what you're really like, the symptom that you're experiencing is actually 
actually typically related to a problem much further up the chain. And instead of just treating the symptom, you should work on addressing whatever that problem further up the chain is, whether it's lack of affordable housing access or weak hips, in my case. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's let that segue into some of the other areas of the book you have coming out as far as uh, physical conditioning, injury prevention, things of that nature. Yeah, this is a really interesting and kind of wide-ranging book because not only does it encapsulate what actions runners can take to become more environmentally sustainable, we're also trying to push athletes to consider their own longevity in the sport and what they can do to support a sustainable running career. And something that we really do, um, and like I personally as a coach, in addition to as a, a writer in this space, encourage people to do is to really develop a connection to a practitioner like like you, Tana, someone that they can go to when something's off and they can start to work with someone on an individual level to address their imbalances and to develop a comprehensive plan that's going to really treat, again, not just the symptom of the issue, but what that larger systemic issue or imbalance typically is. And that just takes connecting with someone who knows you and knows your body really, really well and knows how to listen and knows how to work with athletes specifically. I think in Colorado, we're really lucky. Almost every PT I've had here is pretty well versed (laughs) in athlete-specific issues. Um, But I'd really urge most folks to make sure that their PT really knows what they're doing in terms of like being on the same page with a with a return to sport program. I think that's something that's really important and developing a comprehensive program that integrates strength and mobility so that they can run in a way that feels good and feels comfortable. Because like whatever sport you do, whether it's ski touring, walking, hiking, running, soccer, it should feel good. It should feel joyful. And you want to feel good in your body. And I think it just kind of takes building out a support system, like a PT and a strength coach. And I work with a mental performance coach as well, like bringing in your support system to make sure that you're supporting yourself as a whole athlete, not just a runner, not just a a skier. So it seems that sustainability is the topic of of our discussion. Yes. hundred <laughs> um, percent. Yeah. And even as a PT myself, you know, I try to step back if I'm having any, any little aches and pains or niggles or anything like that. Um, but it does help to have somebody from the outside doing your assessment because you're right. Oftentimes the symptom or the area of pain, the area of complaint is really a witness to something else going on. Or, you know, sometimes I'll describe it as it's the victim, but where is the actual criminal? And nowhere in our body is really a criminal. It's, but it is, it's a witness to, hey, I need some attention somewhere. Um, but it is easy as the person suffering from a pain or movement dysfunction to say, my ankle is, is hurting or my ankle is tight or my ankle is lax or whatever it might be. Or my IT band is really tight. Okay, well, what do we? How long do we stretch the IT band before we go? Okay, something else is going on here. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I will just reinforce your message of get a good team, somebody that you trust to really do a thorough evaluation and that knows has spent a lot of their career diving deeper, asking themselves more questions, asking their profession more questions. Of okay, these few diagnoses I see often and they're just not quite responding like you'd expect. So what am I missing? You know, and I found often going into pelvic floor research, going into um, small stabilizing stuff, now even up into breath management, breath pressure, intra-abdominal pressure management can have big impacts. And there's no 
end to what we can learn. So yeah, and I think that you know again, like the two kinds of themes of this conversation being sustainability and maybe a more holistic and systemic approach to things. I've always loved working with you because I remember the first time I came in, you asked me everything, like my whole athletic history, like different PTs that I'd had, what I liked, what I didn't like, like history about relative energy deficiency, which in women does cause a lot of different problems that like as a medical health practitioner, you would want to know about because that's going to change what you're looking for, how you address things, how you speak to a client. And so I think that it's really, really important to work with someone who's going to take the time to understand your full and a lot of times complex, <laughs> if you've been in the game long enough, complex health history and someone who's going to know that like, okay, well, you know, she has maybe a history of female athlete triad, so this might present differently or we're at an increased risk for this. Or, you know, she has really great bone density. So like maybe it's actually more of a tendon thing in this case and it's presenting like it could be a stress reaction and having someone who really knows um your specific history and who's going to ask you those questions and going to make sure that you're fueling well, that you're that understands that stress impacts these things as well. Like you've always checked in with me about like how I'm feeling in my full life and not just in sport and athletics. And I think that that really speaks to your ability to really integrate a lot of these other areas into your practice, which I think to people who maybe haven't been in this space, it might read as woo woo. But for people who've been doing this, they understand that all of those things are affecting one another and that there's really no way to consider an athlete as a full person and to really start to address those underlying issues without asking a bunch of super honest questions. I still get some great looks when I ask people about their digestion and <laughs> how well they're pooping. Yeah, <laughs> They're like, wait, you're a musculoskeletal, right? But the, the truth is, as we just talked about, you know, your the pelvic floor is responsible for supporting your hips, your core. We, your breath management, your pressure management, and digestion can tell me a lot about where that's at. Do yeah. we have an outlet dysfunction? Do we have hypertonicity of those muscles? And often those muscles, again, as we talked about, are not the complaining muscles. So people don't off well, some sometimes women come in or men, but mostly women come in with pelvic floor pain or pelvic pain. Um, but it's much more rare than it is the common. Uh, and maybe we'll have a an a session on that at some point, but generally the pelvic floor dysfunction is leading to complaints elsewhere. And so I do ask all those questions because who wants to come in for 10 sessions and not actually get to the bottom of anything? You know, let's get to the bottom of it as quickly as possible and then treat it like a sniper versus carpet bomb. Exactly. And I think that like, you know, in an ideal world, sure, you could just do 10 sets of whatever strength exercise a day and it would be better. But a lot of times, particularly with athletic injury, you're also going to have to approach it from a am I fueling enough? Am I eating a lot of the right things? Am I eating at the right times and in the right amounts and making sure that I'm supporting my activity level? Um, am I making sure that my mental health is dialed? Do I have a mental health support system that's going to support me in lowering my cortisol levels and making sure that I'm not using athletics as my only outlet for mental health and self-care? Um, because if you're, you know, you could be doing everything right in PT, but if you don't have a lot of other things dialed, if you're not sleeping well, if you're not eating in a way that supports your activity level, if you're not taking care of your brain, I think that a lot of those attempts are just going to kind of fall flat or not be as impactful. And it does seem like a lifelong journey to get all of that dialed in. Yeah. <laughs> it is so complex. And we're still learning as a medical community, as a sports community, where, and, and we're also individual. Um, I know you and I have spoke a lot about women athletes and 
you know, the research is just not the same as it is for most of the research has been on male athletes, right? And even the research that's been female specific, it's complicated. We're, we're, wonderful and complicated. (laughs) I love that about us. (laughs) So keep doing more science on us. (laughs) Exactly. But you know, it even dives into, okay, do we try to isolate some research based on where each athlete is in her cycle and her menstrual cycle, because it's going to potentially change her hormone profile at that time. And I know that there are some, there are now some training programs designated based on hormone profile and menstrual cycle. And as far as I know, I could be missing something. As far as I know, we just don't have the science yet to support those programs to say this is specifically what we should be doing with our training. Yeah, particularly, yeah. Again, this is definitely something that I would love to see more peer-reviewed research on, like I, this is that would be so huge. But I think where the rubber meets the road, like uh, again, like you said, female athletes and like female identified athletes have a lot of we call you know in science are called confounding variables and I think that kind of has like a negative connotation but it's a really wonderful thing like we live in those confounding variables I am a confounding variable and so the more research that we have that helps us navigate these complicated training decisions um, I think the better but I, I do I do agree that like I again would love to see more research on how we should be timing how how and if we should be timing training with different hormonal fluctuations. My 10 cents as a coach, again, given that there's not nearly enough research on this, is that you can't always time your performance. Like I can't necessarily do my A race (laughs) at whatever point in my cycle I want to. So a lot of times it might actually be more beneficial to not necessarily train um, in a way that's like super optimized. Like Again, like if it was an athlete maybe who was going for like an Olympic trials qualifier time in the marathon or half marathon, I think that, you know, you're really trying to snap up those like 0.1 percentages. For the majority of athletes, it's really figuring out what works for you, what works for your body, and trying not to sweat the small stuff too, too much. I love it. I think it's so true. And because the truth is that not Nobody's the same during each part of their cycle anyway. I mean, our hormonal profiles are going to be so variable. And even mine is going to be variable variable woman to woman. (laughs) Woman to woman, month to month, day to day. Um, I think the best that we can do for our athletes is to encourage them and help them learn how to listen to their body. Yeah, absolutely. And how to control the variables they can control. If for some reason it seems like their hormone panels are way off, you know, guide them to a naturopath or their gynecologist or their primary care internist, whoever that happens to be for them, um, so that we can test and maximize as much as possible and listen to your body. Train when you can, dial it back when you need to. And like you said, you can't, if you train only in the optimal situation, but that's not when you're (laughs) competing or performing, and, you know, then that's not really that helpful. So, yeah. And I think there's a lot to be said for training through some suboptimal <laughs> hormonal yeah. circumstances. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's room for optimizing nutrition differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's but... some interesting emerging research on that for sure. Got any details you want to share? Um, oh, I don't have them right off the top of my head. I just know that <laughs> on one spot. of my... Um, one of the co-coaches at Microcosm Coaching, Kylie Van Horn, also a local... Um, does work specifically with female endurance athletes to dial in their nutrition. And it kind of depends person to person, depending on their goals, 
body composition, metabolism, things like that. But there are like certain times where it's more beneficial to consume more protein or more fat, which I think is, again, really cool and interesting and amazing that the female body is sending these really amazing readable signals. So we have about a minute left. (laughs) If you had five main takeaways for um, the mountain athlete, let's do three for environmental engagement Mm. or awareness. Maybe it's just, hey, look at the snow, pack, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Let's do three for environmental awareness and engagement. And let's do three for general health and uh, sustainable well-being. Yeah. I would say for mountain athletes, get involved at the local level, get involved in unexpected ways that may not feel directly relevant to sport. Again, like while it's great to have a bus ride up to the ski hill, even more importantly is making sure that your community has access to a transportation infrastructure that works for you. Um, vote, vote every time you can in every election, no matter how small, no matter how um, you know midterm and like oh it's not on my radar at all. Like your city council, your you know board of trustees elections are hugely important. Those people are making decisions that will directly impact your air quality, your access to outdoor recreation. Um, do just a little bit of research. Don't overwhelm yourself, but get out there and vote. For um, athletes wanting to embrace a sustainable and longevity-oriented career, I would say build out your support network. Treat yourself like an elite athlete. Build a team. I would also say rest is the best tool you have in your tool belt. Adequate sleep and time off when your body is asking for it, and even when it's not. Like preemptive rest is a great, great tool. Um, Super undervalued, free. (laughs) Um, And then have fun. Like do the things that feel good to your body and that make you excited to get outside or to move joyfully. It doesn't need to hurt. You don't need to break a sweat. You don't have to lose weight or burn calories or get a shredded six pack. You just need to enjoy yourself and your time on earth in a way that feels good to you. Yes. Um, If you're listening to this live, go back and listen to the last minute and a half again and again on Katie and Kay's website when they put this back up. (laughs) Because that is, those, those just hit home every single time. More rest, more joy, move, you know, let's take care of each other. Fundamentals. (laughs) increase our wellness so that we can be lifelong athletes. Yes. All right. Thank you so much, listeners. And thank you, Zoe. Thank you, Tannis. Let's do it again. Everybody sang along. And Margarita were swaying side by side I heard they were divorcing But I guess they let it slide And I wish I had some money With which to buy around I wish I cashed my paycheck Before I came to town But I reached into my pocket found